Hello and welcome to this episode of Self Made. I'm your host, Dee Brown. Joining me today is Helen Dowdell. Helen is the CEO of Mobility Unlimited Technology Worldwide, where she has invented a life-changing technology, and she'll tell you all about it during the show. Helen, welcome to Self Made. I'm so glad to have you. A pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So, Helen, to get started, I want to know about your, your early life. As always, we always try to set the stage for our viewers to understand where our guests come from to get to where they are in life. And so tell me about your younger years. Oh, wow. That's a great question. So I grew up um, in Tacoma, Washington, Fort Lewis, uh, partially because my father was military. And then we relocated to Arkansas, southeast Arkansas. Uh, my family's a farm family. My dad's an ag scientist. So I grew up in the, on the Mississippi Delta on the Arkansas side. Yeah. So um, that's my part of my childhood and it was a wonderful place, rural community, uh, a lot of great people, um, a lot of obstacles and barriers and, and not a whole lot of resources, but still with creativity and determination, you could, you know, do anything or imagine yourself doing anything, if that makes no, sense. No, absolutely, but in your childhood, what were some of the challenges you faced in a you know, smaller community like that? Smaller communities, I'll say some of the challenges that we had to navigate was possibly like resources, you know, and just exposure to certain things. Um, I was very fortunate because I had working class parents. My mother worked as a nurse for a long time and she worked as a, she used to clean houses. I would go with her to clean. She had a very strong entrepreneurial spirit. But as far as challenges, I would say, you know, resources. We had to get very, very creative, you know, yeah. um, uh, tinkering with things. I remember as a child, you know, playing with like, make it, playing with small engines and motors. Yeah. And um, I was a tomboy. <laughs> so <laughs> today I'm wearing a dress, but you know, it wasn't always the case. I spent a lot of time climbing trees, yeah. riding my bike. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but those were challenges that we faced, but we made the best of them. You know what I right. mean? Um, it was, you know, the Mississippi Delta on the Arkansas side is one of the poorest communities like in the country. Uh, but I also believe some of the brightest minds in the world come out of that that community, so. No, absolutely. So what about high school? What were those years like? Oh, you're taking me way back. <laughs> <laughs> high school was great because my parents just let me have like free reign uh, as far as like doing as many activities as I wanted to do. So I played piano, I was in dance, uh, I cheered a little bit, I, I played basketball, anything I guess to get out of the house. My fa yeah. family was very conservative, so. <laughs> um, but high school was wonderful. Uh, I served in, uh, as a representative in student body government, I believe, uh, growing up, made a lot of good friends. Um, but yeah, high school was high school was fun. It was a small community and we had, uh, it was d diverse, like all the small schools were kind of consolidated into one big school. Yeah. So um, we had, a, you know, it was diverse. So uh, we had all types of people from all types of backgrounds, foreign exchange students, even though it was a small community, yeah. farm community, uh, we took pride in the fact that we were able, we fueled the economy as far as agriculture is concerned, right. you know. So college, where did you go to college? College, um, 
I started off, I originally wanted to go to Spelman, to be quite frank, but back then we were in a rural community and when you talk about access and resources, right. we didn't even have internet, you know, that yeah. was kind of new for us, you know. Right, um, I didn't either. Oh, you didn't? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> so that was something, you know, challenge-wise. I remember writing to get my packet from, uh, from Spelman, and it's not a knock to anything, but we were unable to get it in time, so I chose another school that was local, um, UALR, and then uh, later on I went to my dad's alma mater and my aunts and my sisters to UAPB and um, at University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. Yeah. It's a phenomenal school, phenomenal experiences. <laughs> <laughs> I used to go visit my sister when she was in college, Rosalind, and we would, she would show me the ropes. We used to hang out at PJ's uh, <laughs> night spot. I was like 14, 15 at homecoming, hanging out with my sister, yeah. uh, watching the drinks for all of her friends, her sorority sisters, so they can strut at PJ's. <laughs> <laughs> Famous PJs. I'm familiar PJ. with PJs. Are you okay? Yeah, I am. So, um, after college, tell me about your professional life. Professional life, I had a family like early on, and so um, I was a non I had a very non traditional um, approach to success. Um, I did some time, you know, on you know television doing communications type of deals, and um, and that was very wonderful. I was able to, I've was I've always tried different things, I guess, like uh, so. I had a lot of experience doing different things. I always thought I was going to grow up and be a television news anchor <laughs> uh, because when I was a child, they had a, a news anchor who um, she was on the Chicago news and I have no idea what her name is, but she was so impressive. And, and especially the Mississippi anchors, too, because we didn't see a whole lot of diversity where, you know, I grew up. But yeah. seeing those ladies, I was like, wow, they speak well, they were popular. And my great grandfather was friends with um, uh, the Johnson Publishing Company uh, president who uh, worked with Ebony and Jet Magazine. So I always thought right. I would do something in entertainment because I grew up looking at these magazines and, you know, daydreaming, so to yeah. speak. You know, you had to be very imaginative. I would take magazines and read all of the printed uh, printed ads in there in the bathroom and pretend that I was on television. Well, I guess I'm on television now, so. <laughs> Dreams do come true. <laughs> they do. In high school, I had an interesting story just to go back briefly. I just, I have to tell this because I remember a teacher telling me when I was telling, they asked, she was asking what I wanted to do when I grew up. She was like, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to be on television. And I remember her telling me, well, you know, you're too black to be on television. And I was like, wow, yeah, really? Yeah. And I never agreed with it. I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll be on television anyway. And I'll just work hard to make it happen. And so, yeah, yeah. well, I came from a community that uh, in high school, you know, we all went to school together. Uh, we all played football together, but we did not have uh, proms together. We couldn't have senior skip day together. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that type of thing was mm -hmm. not unusual um, at one time. You know, not that it's necessarily totally eradicated, but at one time it was much more prevalent. Um, but I want to talk to you. I know you are an inventor, and I want, I want to talk about that aspect. But I want to ask okay. you before we, we do that, you serve as the executive officer at DDA Law Firm. Absolutely. So, so talk to me about DDA Law Firm, you know, what your role is as, as exec executive officer and what services you all provide. Well, it's a small community 
uh, law firm and basically we do catastrophic injury and wrongful death. Now my job is just basically uh, marketing, uh, community relations, uh, making sure that we bring in the right uh, types of professionals to work on cases and um, and that's what we do, serve the community. It's really important, uh, especially as a minority owned firm, to make sure that we provide services in our communities and also have representation when they have to um, possibly get a referral to uh, a larger firm. But we definitely are the, I guess, the segue to uh, those those sor sorts of cases that require that. So how do you go from being the executive officer <laughs> of a law firm to being an event, an inventor? Well, that's a that's a great question as well. So. Basically, it was well, not so basic. Uh, one day in our community, we had someone who was killed in a crosswalk accident that was a wheelchair user. And I was really very moved in a way to prevent those sorts of things from happening again. Obviously, I knew a lot of the details that happened and it was unsettling. And so I had an idea and I, and I say it's God, it was divinity, just to uh, design something that I felt would prevent that sort of accident from occurring again. Um, I contacted some people that were we felt were influential in the community that could possibly you know, I could give this idea to and maybe it could spark some sort of curiosity in them or we could work together to form a solution. It didn't necessarily go that way. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we uh, met with some city engineers um, and obviously they had some things kind of prioritized on their list, which they do. City engineers are working very hard to prevent congestion and to make needed changes in most cities and municipalities. So I understand that's very, very important. Yeah. But. Uh, in doing that, I was able to uncover a gap that we had in our society uh, dealing with persons who live with disabilities. And I found out that we did not provide proper access to prevent accidents or have proper access to just day-to-day -day living or what I call life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We say we live in the uh, land of the free, home of the brave, but everyone here is not free. Right, so uh, from that, incident or accident, uh, Mobility Unlimited Technologies Worldwide was birthed. Absolutely, yeah, it's a mouthful, but that's what it was. I wanted to have a word that would represent what we planned to do. You know, I felt like we wanted to bring a product to market. I didn't want to rush, but I didn't want to waste time because we knew the time that could be wasted could be someone's life. That's someone's loved one, that's someone's yeah. son, someone's daughter, someone's mother, someone's father. So it was a passion project initially. I was like, you know, I'm passionate about this. It shouldn't happen and ended up starting a company. So tell me about your invention. Okay. Thank you for asking. Absolutely. So <laughs> basically, uh, I invented an adaptive accessible traffic signal. Um, it, it integrates into the existing uh, traffic system. It notifies a motorist of when someone in a wheelchair or someone who is who needs the international symbol for accessibility or what we call an ISA uh, to cross safely. We uh, found out in discovery and research and development that not only were we 
uh, people in wheelchairs at risk or what we've coined as a wildestrian. Uh, we coined that word because pedestrian was not necessarily an adaptive term. It doesn't apply to a wildestrian. Most wildestrians use the wheelchair as an extension of their legs. So a pedestrian is someone, if you took you know, Latin in school, pettiest Latin for foot. It means to walk by foot. So we adapted the term so it could be more inclusive. So yeah. we worked with wheelchair users. They work with our company. We work together. As a matter of fact, I have an invisible disability that I've lived with, and I've had to use a wheelchair before in the past, along with my my father, my grandmother, uh, so many people that I know who have lived with a disability. So. Um, to answer your question, that started my quest um, to, hey, let's develop this, let's integrate, um, and I studied. I engineered a device, I'm not an engineer, but I started to study. Um, you know, I pulled uh, as much information as I possibly could from how the existing infrastructure was created so that I could determine my next steps of action to engineer a device that could readily fit kind of like a plug and play. And that's what we did. It took about two and a half years before we got to a real world product, but we prototyped and we followed a lot of steps and were able to get there successfully. And so currently you have a patent on the technology, correct? Yes, I and, do. And that's quite a, uh, a process. <sighs> so why don't you share with the uh, viewers that process and what you had to go through to, to get that accomplished? Do we have enough time to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Give me the short version. <laughs> well, the short version is, uh, of course, I, I did a patent application and I was like, uh, because I was working in, in the legal field, I you know, I had a, a couple of friends, yeah. <laughs> but that I still had to do my own homework. So I was, uh, I was able to apply for the patent. I did retain some attorneys uh, because it's a very sophisticated process and when you're talking about going into an intersection and uh, talking about new products and uh, you know you have to really do your homework and uh, be proficient right so I, I retained some attorneys that helped me with the process of patenting the device we were provisional for a very long time and patent pending for a little bit and then finally in November of last year November the ooh I should know the state <laughs> Well, the end of November, we were granted our, our patents and it was uh, very gratifying. Not for me, uh, just personally, but knowing that that would be my legacy, that we were able to include a group of individuals who are our brothers and sisters and that were overlooked for so, so long and start the process of incorporating these individuals into society safely. Right. Now, owning your own business is, is tough and challenging. Launching a business is, is even more challenging. Um, but, you know, being uh, an inventor, uh, I think, is another level of, of challenging. And so uh, what do you do to balance, you know, your work and life? Well, I'll say this spiritually for me, it's like a lot of meditation, a lot of self-care, yeah. too, um, because it is tough, you know. I felt, you know, I'm solving a problem and you think that's just one step, but it's also discovery. You're constantly uncovering layers in every part of your uh, a concept and every part of your product. And so you have to just navigate those situations as they come and don't try to take 
too much on, you know, because, you know, we I have, you know, a family and, you know, and, you know, I ended up, you know, working with my company exclusively now. And, um, you know, my children, I still have my family, I, I, you know, that I have to put them first. I, I make that a rule like they know if mom is gone, if mommy's gone, she's going because she's working and she'll be back, you know. So right. and I also try to work around their schedule, too. You know, my, my children like, being reared is most important to me. So to balance that spiritually, I have to stay grounded, you know, I believe in, you know, Christ, obviously, and, you know, uh, not that everyone has to believe that way, but meditation and self-reflection and caring for myself, my he my health, yeah. um, you know, going to those medical appointments when even when, you know, you don't feel like it um, and making sure that you're doing stuff to take care of yourself every day. Right. It's a hot tea, whatever you have to do, <laughs> a few minutes in a closet. I don't know. <laughs> But you are, you know, still with children, uh, husband, family, uh, trying to balance all of that. And you're trying to launch this product uh, nationally. So and internationally. What, <laughs> and internationally. That's right. Internationally as well. What role uh, does family play in that whole process? This family is very instrumental. So much. I share with my kids like every step of the journey. It's important so that they can know, like as an entrepreneur, it's a whole new level of responsibility uh, because you have people that you have to take care of that are relying on you so that they can have their, their lifestyle and right. uh, uh, livelihood. Right. So I, sh I share with my children, specifically every part of the journey they look at everything as far new when the pro prototype came out explaining yeah. to them what we were doing why we were doing it getting their feedback right. that's important right. because our children are our future that's they right. really are the the smaller they are i feel like you know some of the you know the little bitty kids especially like when i go and speak and go meet children i love talking to the little people because yeah. they're so i'm so intrigued by their thought process you know it's not yeah. really tainted by the world, you know, right. so it's the purity of them. I tell them about what we're doing with accessibility. Do you feel like a wildestrian should have the same rights and privileges as you do? For them, it's a no-brainer, and they feed me back so much positive energy. So I guess just keeping them engaged and letting them know what we're doing and why, and then they'll draw their own conclusions. That's the beautiful thing about children. Like, they're yeah. so inquisitive, and th they don't have a lot of doubt either. Right. You know, when I originally started the project, a lot of people were presenting me a lot of obstacles, right? But we live in a world that is full of obstacles that's constantly changing and time is constantly moving. So you have to find the time to continue and to not let that shake you, so to speak. At least yeah. that's how I how I live. So what about from the standpoint of mentors? Uh, did you have any? Oh, oh or God. Did you have any? Yes, so, so many. Like, um, you know, I believe there's safety in a multitude of counselors from childhood up. Like, uh, you know, my school teachers, you know, Mrs. Davis, I think my first grade teacher, uh, uh, Dr. Jennifer Johnson, uh, spiritually, uh, my mother, my grandmother, Helen. Um, I'm going to miss somebody, but <laughs> if I yeah. start naming people, uh, <laughs> too you many know, to name. So many to yeah. name. Uh, 
Maria Giroux, I remember that was my etiquette teacher when I was so much of a tomboy. And I think my mom was like, uh, I got to get her uh, on the right track before, before she uh, does something uh, to harm herself. But she, I learned etiquette uh, early on. She said, you never know what rooms you're going to be in. So I got trained in pageants, uh, you know, early on did Girl Scouts. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I had a lot of mentors. Uh, Mrs. Willis uh, was my first Girl Scout teacher when my mom was working two and three jobs and um, and I couldn't get places she would pick me up. I also grew up with three um, ladies that were neighbors of ours. Community is so important. We had Miss Lorraine, we had Miss Dolores, and we had Boist. <laughs> <laughs> and when my mother was working, she would, they would make sure that we were eating, we got to school on time, and you were still responsible, had to be a responsible uh, child, like come in, do your homework, and, you know, so we had a community um, of people and then we moved to the outskirts of, uh, of the town that we lived in. But uh, we definitely had a lot of support there and what, college, too. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, understood. Well. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, but what has been or what have been the biggest challenges that you face in trying to bring your invention to market? Oh, wow. That's a, a great question. And I don't know if we would have the time, but in a short, abbreviated version, um, you're really working against, you have the outside factors, right? And then internally. So I have to be, I have to be very protective with not allowing the outside factors to infiltrate the, um, the uh, privacy and also the sanctity of what I was doing. In other words, sometimes I would take people would give me advice or tell me things, oh, about, well, do you, do you think you should do this? Or this is gonna take 10 to 20 years to, to do. No one's gonna, uh, you know, a lot of negativity. And I have to protect my space. And then I go in uh, inwardly, I research, I reset, recalibrate, because your brain is like a, a processor, right? Yeah. So you constantly have to reset yourself in the discovery phase, in the implementation phase, in the execution phase, to stay set on your objectives and your right. missions and your goals. Right. So to protect that, I would listen to what they would have to say. I would go back. Sometimes I would apply it. What I couldn't use, I kind of dump it out. Yeah. And no, no. like delete, delete, delete. Right. Um, right. And what I felt was necessary, I used it to be sharper and to make myself better and to make my product better. No, I think, um it's important when you're getting advice or counsel from other people. You know, I, I want to know what have you done? Uh, there are a lot of advisors out there that has, haven't accomplished anything. That's great. Uh, you know, I'm just being realistic. Mm -hmm. So uh, from my perspective, the way I operate uh, my business and, and personally, I, I hear you. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can't tell me how to get from point A to point B if you haven't made that journey yourself. So, you know, there are people that can contribute mm -hmm. to your success, you know, that may have a technical expertise in a particular area that you can utilize, but globally, trying to give me global advice mm -hmm. and direction, and you lost, uh, I think you find yourself first. Absolutely. Right? So I think that's something that's important for people that are trying to, uh, you know, take their business to the next level, just really being careful about who you're getting, you know, counsel. Absolutely. Um, if they're not accredited, and I, and I, I said that a lot, you know, because you have to self-talk yourself when you're new in a space, you know, being the only African-American, being the first, being right. a woman. It sounds good. It sounds fun, but it comes with a lot of pressure and responsibility. And right. I do, I, I do. And a lot of uh, obstacles. A lot of obstacles. I had to 
I had to, you know, not psych yourself out because you can accomplish, you can do anything. But like you said, I had to check myself a lot when I was at, you know, crossroads, no pun intended. <laughs> and people would say things and I would be like, oh, okay, well, if you haven't done it yet, and this is the first time this is gonna be done, like you said, how can you uh, give advice on something that you haven't done before? Right. It, so, um, and like, you, and I believe you can do anything that you put your mind to. I constantly had to uh, build myself up. Um, scriptures, uh, motivation tapes. Yeah. <laughs> now, sometimes it's going to the park, going to look at nature, uh, taking breaks. People don't realize how important that is because yeah. you don't want to put yourself in a position where a project has you and you don't have the project. Right. You know, like I don't want to stroke out working so hard to be successful because a lot of people, as I talk to kids and I tell my kids this too, a lot of people look at success as a, oh, like that's just the end road. But what is what exactly is success, right? Um, right. Success is comprised of a lot of different things, but I tell my kids, like, if you take the dubs, those, it's always fun to win. But if you take the dubs, you got to take the L's, too. Right. And in those L's, it's a lot of discovery. You'll be able to learn from those things. You need to right. fail. People who are constantly just trying to succeed without having any hiccups. And those hiccups, they help you discover new things. Like that accident yeah. helped me to discover something new that was a gap. It right. wasn't right or wrong, but we are in a society that's, evolving constantly right. technology innovation and sometimes we forget but when we forget we have an opportunity to right wrongs to make it right pay it forward and we can learn from our mistakes so that's basically my my life mantra you know yeah. don't be afraid to fail don't be afraid to try new things um, and be patient uh, you know the race isn't given to the swift or to the strong but the one that endures it never it, it's not always pretty right. some days I'm sitting in my uh, office my home office crying my eyes out you know in pain like oh this is tough it's hard sometimes you can pick up the phone some, and call someone sometimes the person that you need to speak to the most is the person that you look at in the mirror every day right and it's a process it's never overnight you know, I started this process. I told them <laughs> we're going to be done with this in a year. And then the next thing, you know, another year came and, you know, right, so right. healthy objectives too, healthy uh, goals. That's important. Well, as well, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Right. right so that's right. what separate uh, the winners from the losers is the uh, willingness to, to do the difficult things. But what's your your goal? What's what's your goal for your company? What the goal for my company is simple. We want to prevent these types of accidents and we want to create a space or we are creating a space where it's inclusive, where people have the right to pursue life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, so yes. to speak. Um, accessibility is a human right. Absolutely. It's, a, it's, it's, it's not. And it's and it's, a, and it's it, people call it privilege. No, no, no. Everyone is a human right. No one should be OK with. 528 wheelchair users being killed in intersection accidents, crosswalk accidents annually that we know I, of documented. I couldn't agree with you more, Helen. And you have been a great guest, <laughs> and I'm so happy to have you on the show. Thank you so, so much for being here. And to my viewers, thank you for watching. And remember, without you, there's no me.